Podsters. Hi guys, welcome to the Dream Hustlers. The Dream Hustlers is a show about founders, innovators, entrepreneurs, and all those dreamers who made this world a better place. We dive deeper into these villain minds and deconstruct what makes them tick. In the second episode, we speak to Shantanu Deshpande, the founder and CEO of the Bombay Shaving Company. The Bombay Shaving Company has established itself as one of the most trusted and wanted brands for men's grooming products. Starting from experiential shaving kits to essential bath and body products, they cater to all sets of requirements possible. Every product is built according to the requirement of the customer, which has made it one of the most appreciated brands for men's grooming. Shantanu is an alumnus of IM Lucknow and left his job at McKinsey and started the Bombay Shaving Company in 2015. We dig deeper into his journey of building up the brand and his experiences through the same. Hi Shantanu, welcome to the show. It's our pleasure to have you here. Hi Anmol, it's absolutely my pleasure to be here. Nice talking to you. So Shantanu, I'll start with uh, you know this basic question that uh, what inspired you to be entrepreneurial? Is it something that started in school, something that started in college? Did you have the perennial lemonade stand that a lot of entrepreneurs have? How did it all start? Were you entrepreneurial since beginning? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I actually, uh, you know, uh, getting into McKinsey from IIM Lucknow was a dream. And even at, at McKinsey, um, you know, uh, I was, I loved my job. I absolutely loved consulting. I loved uh, problem solving on different problems every few months, working with different teams, exceptionally smart bunch of people. The clients we served, we always used to, you know, serve at the very top. We used to serve the board or the CEO. So for a 24-year-old fresh out of college uh, graduate, it was a it was a dream come true job, and uh, you know, I was I was very happy there. In fact, uh, my reputation at McKinsey was that of a lifer. I was such a big fan of McKinsey that, you know, even like within when a bunch of young associates would sometimes be unhappy about the increment or about some partner who was being painful, etc. I would not participate in those discussions because I just was very loyal to McKinsey. So, in fact, <laughs> leaving McKinsey came as a shock to a lot of people uh, who did not know. But I actually thought, started thinking of entrepreneurship a lot more as I started serving clients who were promoters themselves. You know, I served mm-hmm. people who had built out businesses for 30, 40, 50 years. And mm-hmm. I always felt that being an advisor on the side was was fun, but not as much as doing and building the business, both from a, you know, from a fun uh, standpoint and I think from a reward standpoint also, right? Um, I think the wealth you create, the the legacy you leave, the power and access you have as, a, as an entrepreneur of a successful enterprise is unparalleled, uh, probably only matched by politics, <laughs> which was <laughs> not an option. So, so okay. I think entrepreneurship, there, there's, there is a draw there, which is, which is very unique. Plus, mm-hmm. I come from an entrepreneurial family. Um, oh, so nice. my my fa- yeah my father was at TCS for the longest time. Then he was the CEO at Tech Mahindra for six seven years, and then at the age of fifty, he left a, a cushy CEO job and became an entrepreneur. This is two thousand and three. Uh, started a company called Airtight out of California uh, mm-hmm. and Pune, where we used to live. Uh, and he would shuttle back and forth. And he sold the business eighteen months back. So he has had a 15, 17 year journey where I saw him with his co-founders, you know, whiteboarding and the idea to building it out to almost a thousand people, a thousand plus customers, 
uh, and and really a successful success, successful business. So mm-hmm. that was always exciting for me. And he he took a bigger risk at a different age, right? He had two grown up kids. My mm-hmm. mom is a homemaker, so mm-hmm. he had a bigger financial risk to take. And I think the rewards were great for him. Um, so that's what pushed me into entrepreneurship myself. That's interesting. And you were at McKinsey, which is a dream job for a lot of people. When was it that you felt yeah. uh, that you know you needed to now leave McKinsey? Like, how did you kind of come to that? And a lot of people have supported you from McKinsey. I read about that a lot of McKinsey yeah. uh, uh, colleagues kind of supported you in your journey at the Bombay Sharing Company. Yeah. So how did yeah. it all happen? It was a wonderful exit. Um, and uh, so the thought came in my head. I clearly remember it was uh, a, a winter evening of 2013, right? Um, and I was uh, I was an associate. I was doing a due diligence on a, on, on a target working with a private equity company. And I was talking to my manager saying, hey, you know, this is a due diligence. So someone, you know, a private equity fund was buying out this company and the promoter was going to make a ton, ton of money. And I said, Hey, this is, this is insane wealth creation, right? Which we are kind of a part of. And my manager at that time, who incidentally also left McKinsey to become an entrepreneur, um, told me that if this is the kind of wealth you want to create, there is no other way to do it other than being a blue blooded capitalist, which means you need to own the business. You cannot do it working for, another company. Uh, and that was the day I realized, okay, this is like McKinsey. I mean, I'll do backbreaking work for 35 years and I think it'll be great, but there is a very clear limit as to how big you can be at McKinsey. Even if you become the global CEO of McKinsey, which is the best case scenario, a very rare best case scenario, even mm-hmm. then the outcomes are from a wealth standpoint are not spectacular. Yeah. Think about it and more. Right? We are all, I was, I was what, 25, 26, 27. Uh-huh. Uh, we we now work, we have 40 year careers at that age we will work mm-hmm. till 65 to 70 mm-hmm. um and if you if you if you are going to take a risk i i come from a very well to do family you know right. my wife uh, uh you know touch wood we have no medical issues parents are well to do healthy right. siblings are independent we don't right. have kids so it was right. it was a no brainer because financially uh-huh. there was absolutely no risk and career wise uh-huh. there was no risk so I started talking to one thing which I did a lot at McKinsey was invest in relationships with my mentors, uh, which meant I stayed in touch, did monthly calls, let them uh, know about my progress emotionally, professionally. And uh, um, I started discussing this with them without an agenda. And over a period of a year, year and a half, they said, you know, why don't you, you're, you're doing very well, get promoted, you know, uh, become a manager, then you leave, you have a higher standing in the circle, etc. So I did that. Uh, I took their advice. I waited. I, I, delivered a, a, a solid project for a client as a manager. Mm-hmm. And then again, I started talking to them. I said, I really want to do something now. So all of these people I have almost 19, 18 or 19 McKinsey partners who are angel investors. Right. Uh, so my discussions with them were like, I'm not going to take another project. I actually want to do something of my own. And they said, Hey, uh, all of them unequivocally said, can I be an, an investor in whatever you do? And wow. that was just phenomenal. So I left McKinsey with like, with my seed round intact. So, uh-huh. uh, yeah, and I continue to stay in touch with the firm, by the way. So I'm a part of the recruitment team. Ah, okay. I, I, I'm a faculty. Yeah, I'm a faculty at their, you know, incoming consultant training session. Nice. I do workshops for consumer clients. So right. uh, I recruit at I am Lucknow. I did I did Delhi. I was at I am Ahmedabad last year. So 
in fact i'm you know i i meet the mckinsey partnership much more now than i would when i was there because <laughs> one i was junior and two i was right. like all over the place right so now i am i i, I can do that a lot more so yeah so it seems like you have a second job at mckinsey right now as well oh i'm a big fan yeah like so i mean i it's so that's the thing with me right any institution that i'm a part of it becomes my identity very quickly so whether it's i am lucknow or the the fest committee at i am lucknow which i i used to be a part of or whether it's my sports team or whatever i just feel that it is like it is my identity so mckinsey is a very strong part of who i am <laughs> very interesting and you said something about an entrepreneurial family do you think entrepreneurial yeah. families actually kind of encourage that entrepreneurship in the kids and it kind of makes kids who are working in a service after say college or something want to be an entrepreneur because they've seen entrepreneurship close hand yeah so yeah that's a very good question actually so maharashtrians by you know by nature are not born entrepreneurs unlike marwadis or punjabis or sindhis you know um the entire community in that case are 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 business folks right but for maharashtrians they're more service minded our dna and i believe a lot in this by the way and i see this like on end right and i have i've served clients at mckinsey who are the family has been in the business for like seven generations so i mm-hmm. know when 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 business runs in the blood it's a very true phenomenon it's not just something that people say it's a it's a bent of mind it's a risk taking mm-hmm. appetite it is mm-hmm. it is the way you you think about money right i had a friend who was from a marwadi family um mm-hmm. extremely extremely not interested in academics like absolutely zero uh, yeah. barely used to pass in any subject right. but the moment yeah. he went into 11th he took accounts he aced it like he wouldn't study but he would just ace the it, it was just he could get it i saw this in right. i am lucknow also with a few of my gujarati friends who would just right. get numbers they would crack that cfa exam quickly so i i have a feeling that if you come from a business family it rubs off dinner table table conversations the cultural values the importance of cash these are all things that are that that kind of play out in everyday life every day right um, so i think thoda sa wo hota hai and you established a skincare brand uh, you never wanted to kind of be in your father's own business his own venture that apparently is very successful yes. as you said yeah he so so he is uh, yeah he's a hard he and my brother are hardcore techies my mom and me are more you know marketing and fmcg and people connect and so on right so um uh, his company was like a wifi security deep data tech product uh, impossible for me to even understand it um right. uh, i loved fmcg when i was in college in fact hul and proctor were my dream jobs uh, even mm-hmm. above mckinsey but because mckinsey comes before them i ended up going to mckinsey and not getting a shot in the other two companies but um uh, it was always something which i lo- i love doing uh, even now when i go in like even before starting whenever i would go into a store i would see the packaging i would see what's written on the product i would see what the insight would be to launch a product like that i served a couple of retail clients also so it was always there like building a brand in the consumer space was always consumer product space was always kind of attractive to me hmm interesting and why a men's skincare brand uh, like a you know shaving company why why, why did you get yeah. into that Did you do That's, some research yeah, on this so, before you got into it, or like it was just something you kind of did a snap no, survey in the office, asked people, and you were like, okay, this is something that they need, and I should also do it. No, interestingly, I actually saw the first Dollar Shave Club ad, which became super viral. I don't know if you have watched it, but you should. Right. Um, okay. And that was I think that's what triggered the thought in my head. And if you have not watched it, basically, it is 
the founder of Dollar Shave Club making a really wacky ad and kicking Gillette's uh, you know entire proposition out the window. Right. And, right. and it, it was in, incredibly well made. And that ad built out Dollar Shave Club basically. For me, I think it was kind of deeper. I realized that for the longest time growing up, right, I always felt right. that men would marry out of their league. Like mm-hmm. the woman, like whenever I would go to a wedding, I always felt that she was way too good for him. And I, right. that question gnawed at me for a while. Right? And it, <laughs> you, you kind of understand these things with age, which is women mm-hmm. are financially dependent. Education is not the highest priority for a girl. You see it in your uh-huh. family, you see it in your friends, you know, uh-huh. really smart girls until uh-huh. ninth or 10th. And suddenly by the time you hit college, the priorities have changed. Sometimes they get married, they become homemakers, etc. And I, I, you know, I, I, I've, I'm so happy that that is now kind of changing. That women are now right. getting more financially independent, studying more, getting better jobs. And yeah. what happens when that happens is the matrimonial environment becomes comparative. Right. Women start dating a lot more. So now right. a guy can't be like, uh, you know, uh, a shabby average guy and still get a girl out of his league anymore. 15 years right. back, yeah, sure. But today, not so much. Right. So now suddenly the pressure for looking good or as they say in today's age, the pressure for being right swiped is very high on men. And right. they have no idea how to do it. They have no idea how to do it. Because for the longest time, women, because the pressure of looking good is only on women, there is uh-huh. a culture amongst women to discuss things openly. Like a mother who would tell a daughter, what right. to put hai, skin, what to put in salon, etc. Or between like two sisters or between three girlfriends they always discuss right. what shampoo do you use what lipstick right. brand is the best but guys don't do that the father-son right. relationship doesn't do it much brothers don't do it much three friends would when was the last time you and three of your friends were talking about a great hair product never right so yeah because culturally it's not a part and it is becoming important that is a fantastic gap to be be a part of because the first thing consumer will do is they will go to the internet and look for a brand to talk right. about. Right. So we wanted to be a brand to tell men how to look good and feel good. That was that was the entire thesis. Interesting. So what you're saying is basically it's just more an intuitive sort of a feeling based on a little bit of research that you did here and there and you felt that this yeah. is a product that that will have some market. Yeah, I, I actually used McKinsey recruitment a lot. So I used to go for recruitment every year even when I was at the firm, right? So 2011 right. to 2016, I must have visited four campuses a year. So that's uh-huh. 20, 25 campuses. Uh, Every right. campus, I would take a walk down the boys' hostel and see the toiletries they would keep in their shelves in the, right. in the hostel. And right. every year, the range would just keep on increasing. When I was there, it was one Dio, one soap, one hand wash, and that's it. That's it. Right. Like a shaving cream. That's it. By 2015, there was an anti, the anti, you know, anti-blackhead. There was a fairness. There was anti-acne. There were three face washes, and I'm like, whoa! Suddenly, like, these are guys in hostels, no? so they're kind of, right. and they're still spending money, right? So, <laughs> if you are looking at a young professional in an office, definitely a lot more. So, I mean, you you get a sense that our market is right. going. Plus, Fog Walk right. was also launching at that time. Plus, right. in the US, you know, Dollar Shave Club, Harry's, Bevel. So, when you see an industry moving, you you get a uh-huh. you get a pulse check rather quickly. And you started with products which are like very very traditional. You didn't start with a very Gillette sort of a shaving uh, razor. It was a very different yeah. sort of razor that you created. So, what went into that? Like, did you you focus a lot on design? It seems because I see that engraving of the brand on the razor and 
Yeah. So you started with that, but why did you start yeah. with something like a traditional razor rather than kind of going up upstream and trying to launch something like say Gillette Mark Seven sort of a thing? Correct. So there are two. That's a very good question, right? Anmol. I think so. We we struggled with this for the first year. We launch. We know the market we want to get into. We want, we we know what we want to do, but we don't know exactly how to do it, right? So, right. The, so Dollar Shave Club or some of these other companies, right? Were uh-huh. able to take on Gillette because of price, right? Mm-hmm. So they thought that Gillette, you are able to get it for four and a half dollars, which is very expensive mm-hmm. for a cartridge. Can we mm-hmm. find a global supplier who can give it for lesser, and we can give maybe yeah. a eighty percent experience of Gillette at fifty percent of the cost? That was the thesis. Let's make no mistake about it. Gillette is an outstanding product. Like they right. deserve yeah. to be in the monopoly they have. The kind of risks that they have taken, the kind of investment they have made in R and D. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't at no point do I feel that they have an undeserved share of the market. It's very well deserved. But mm-hmm. these companies like Dollar Shave Club or Cornerstone in the UK. could do it because the price was very high so they found mm-hmm. a company in south korea got the product in labeled it with their dollar shave club brand and started selling and consumers were like sir ye yaar 4 dollar ki jagah mere ko 2 dollar mein ya 1 dollar mein milta hai right mm-hmm. with experience is not that great but it's good enough it's okay mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. but in india you get a mark 3 cartridge for like 100 bucks which is 1.3 dollars mm-hmm. it's not expensive in india at all so the price mm-hmm. point is not a big thing so you can't beat gillette on price the only thing you can actually beat them on is experience Tell me more about like you were building this brand. So you were building another team all together. How did you choose yeah. who would be on your team? Uh, like what sort of people you would like to have around? Because that makes a lot of impact <laughs> on how you think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think initially, so thing is, I because we had a you know we had a uh, uh, before I left McKinsey, right? I had asked two of my colleagues at McKinsey, like my batchmates at McKinsey, we joined around the same time, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. whether they want to be my co-founders. Mm-hmm. And incidentally, both of them were, you know, they were both newly. One of them was a new parent. One of them was newly married. They had right. obligations at home, parents to take right. care of, etc. So they could not right. join as co-founder. So I was a single founder uh, who, you know, and and because I had raised capital, I was able uh-huh. to pay salaries. So right. I actually got three of my friends. One was uh-huh. my someone I had managed at Dickinson. One uh-huh. was, uh, you know, a close friend of mine from undergrad, and one was uh-huh. a close friend from school. Right. I said one guy does design, one guy does procurement, one guy does marketing, and I will kind of process manage the whole thing to death and raise mm-hmm. capital and take care of the company financially. So right. that was it was four of us, and then by the time we launched, we were seven of us. Today we are almost 150 people. So yeah, I mean right. it was a it was an interesting initial group of it was basically friends yeah, who got together. My investors were kind enough to uh, tell me how to manage. Uh, uh-huh. Compensation salary discussion with a close friend, which is not the easiest uh, thing to do. Easiest thing, yeah. But it's something that I, yeah, it's something that I learned quickly how to do. Yeah. So did you ever kind of feel that you know this is becoming too much for me? You know everything I'm managing, no, no. saying this and that, Never. and you ever kind of went through that yeah. patch of you know, depression or that patch of a low uh, that you know my product is not coming out the way it should because you're a perfectionist oh, yeah. from what I can hear. You know, so you would always—I don't know—but I can, I can sense that you would always want to kind of create the best sort of a product. And if it's not matching your sort of expectation, you would sort of kind of get into a different zone in the mind itself altogether. No, no, yeah. So, so yeah, so yeah, absolutely, we've had complete failure products multiple times. Um, mm-hmm. And the thing is, for young companies, right? You always try to balance perfection with speed, always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, I'm glad you think I'm a perfectionist, but I'm not. I'm actually completely comfortable taking an 80% <laughs> product to market just to test it out, right? Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, I mean, sometimes things don't work. So you have to be very cognizant. That, that way you need to be a little logical and left-brained about the whole thing. That Let's test this out. This may work. This may not work. Don't put in all eggs in one basket. And if it fails, you kind of start feeling the world is ending. That's uh-huh. That should never be the case. You should never have uh-huh. super dependence on anything. Whether it's uh-huh. a particular employee or a particular team or uh-huh. a particular channel, like a lot of businesses I see are super dependent on Amazon, which is dangerous because mm-hmm. if Amazon stops or for whatever reason, the CEO doesn't like your face tomorrow, you're screwed uh, mm-hmm. or a lot of dependence on a particular product. Like mm-hmm. most companies will typically see like their top two products accounting for 80% of the revenues, which is mm-hmm. how things do turn out. But we try to balance it across the board, right? So failures are not as costly as 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 one might think. As, mm-hmm. opposed, as compared to fund for fundraising, here is one point I do have though. Uh, we never raised capital because we wanted to raise capital. We raised mm-hmm. capital because we found an investor by chance and mm-hmm. the deal made sense. I've mm-hmm. never said, okay, fine, we have four months of runway left. Now I need to raise money. Here are the 30 investors I want to call and start doing meetings. Never. Mm-hmm. So maybe in those situations, funding one will take a lot of time. And mm-hmm. two, a rejection is, is actually costly because mm-hmm. you've invested time and then and you have invested money and everything and then it kind of goes away. So then mm-hmm. now you have lesser runway. and all that. So I can imagine stress being created when you do that when you're in a fundraising process, which is initiated by the company. But mm-hmm. thankfully, we've always, we've always been in a position where the fundraising mm-hmm. process has been initiated by the investor. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've kind of just played along and gotten the money. It can be different for other companies. I can see that. Very interesting. Leadership is something that uh, you've kind of seen across, uh, around you, uh, in McKinsey, in, uh, in your family. Well, what is leadership to you? How do you define leadership today? Yeah, so I think we had a we had a we had a what we call um, uh, freewheeling chat, which is in this world of Zoom and Google Hangouts. Uh-huh. Uh, we got we get people like our investors or even you know even senior folks to come over and uh, and and give us some uh, some advice. And one one of our our, our mentors uh, is the global CEO for a for a large consumer products company. He uh-huh. put this beautifully, and I'll quote him verbatim, right? right uh, he right. said, "He said leadership is the ability to identify good people, find out what they need to be successful, do whatever you can to help them su- become successful, coach them into doing the same for other people, and the world uh-huh. becomes a better place." Oh, and I found that extremely powerful. Right? Identify good people. Find out mm-hmm. what they want to do to be successful, help mm-hmm. them do it, and believe that they'll do that for others. That's it's just it's, it's so simple. Another thing he said was, again, I'll quote him verbatim. Uh, mm-hmm. He said, leadership is the ability to make simple people do great things every day. Oh. And he didn't use the word simple in a wrong, like in a in a in a right. pejorative way. He said simple as in everyday people. It could be a warehouse worker. It could be a it could be a programmer. It could be a, a marketer. It could be a digital analyst. It could be anyone. But make yeah. everyday people do great things consistently every day. That's what leadership is, and it's not easy. Like it's very hard. 
So that brings me to the future. Like, uh, what are those uh, you know things that you're looking for forward uh, to in the future? Are there any threats that you're kind of seeing uh, across the board? What are those things that you're looking towards uh, to build your company now? Yeah, so everyone's spoken to death about Corona. So I'm not going to talk about that. But I think we live right. in a different world. Yeah. <laughs> the good thing is this world works beautifully for Bombay Shaving Company. Because right. number uh-huh. one is people will buy more online. And our right. skills online are, are ma- far better than uh-huh. uh, other companies. Right. So we have a distinct advantage there. Number one. Number two, I think people will gravitate more towards personal care stuff more than they would do before. Right, right. right, right. Uh, it becomes an essential thing. Like uh, you right, will, right. it's like not it's not grocery, but it is something that you right. will gravitate towards. So right. we are in an industry where uh-huh. people will buy more of our stuff. Uh-huh. We will. We are in an industry where people will buy more stuff in places where we know how to sell well. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I think we are very lucky, and the the month of May in terms of revenues is, has shown us that we are very lucky to actually be in a place where demand issues are actually going to be good for us. I think now it is important for us to focus, put build the company for for skills that are important in the pre in the post COVID or with COVID world, right? Right. Good thing is like a lot of talent is going to be uh, become available. Like that's the right, unfortunate right. reality of, yeah. of an economic situation like the one we have is people yeah. will become jobless, so they'll be yeah. available. Fundraising will become difficult, which is always great for us because that means competition dies out easily. Right. Um, a lot of companies will become available for acquisition for us. So right. I'm very excited about the next 12 to 18 months because of because of this. Of course, I mean, uh, I might sound kind of harsh uh, taking yeah. advantage of a global yeah. pandemic for business. But hey, you know, everyone has their own vantage point, right? So right. for us, it is a good thing. Uh, we are just recently raised capital. So we are well capitalized. No stress there. We have great yeah. investors, good industry, good tailwinds, good people. We'll get better people. And uh, you know, hopefully, build out the online the online channel. So for us, I think it is actually about about milking the cow now. It's not right. about worrying about how do we. I think the business model is very clear. Mm-hmm. It's now whether we can execute and 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 take market share in a super effective way. Right, and you've I, I saw your uh, your own social media networks, uh, your channels. And you've kind of started focusing a lot on made in India. And uh, w- yeah. what's the idea behind that? And do you feel this? That this brand, you know, can become that global brand from local uh, to local to global. Yeah. So do, do you think yeah. that there is that possibility for your brand? Because you had that Colgate investment coming in. Is there a is there a yeah. global sort of pitch that you're looking at for your brand now? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So when we started the company, we decided to name the brand Bombay Shaving Company because we wanted to be known as an Indian brand that has got equity outside the country. And when we did our research, then we realized there are only three brands from India, actually four uh-huh. brands from India that are unequivocally known across the world, whether, uh-huh. it's, the, whether it's Europe, US, uh-huh. the Americas, um, right. Africa, or even, you know, uh, Australia, right? Which uh-huh. is Gandhi, Himalay, uh-huh. Taj, and Bombay. These right. are four things that are known to be Indian, but globally famous. Right, Gandhi, right. Himalay, Taj, and Bombay. Right. Gandhi, though, we cannot do. Right. Himalaya and Taj are taken brand names, Bacha Bombay. Right. So right. that's how we started. So I think, right. and I think the the, the unmold the, the thing with lo, you know local manufacturing uh-huh. actually is a slightly personal thing for me, and it's 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 yeah. again the realization over the last two months. I think uh-huh. what has yeah. happened with with India for the last 60, uh-huh. 70 years, we're a young country, right? Right. Um, is we haven't invested in 
as much in manufacturing as we have invested in services. Right. So we are a service and knowledge economy. So we can right. do great IT work. We can do a lot of great. We'll have a great business community, etc. But we will not. We are not building anything real. Our automotive sector is weak. Our infrastructure sector is weak compared to China, for example. Right. Uh-huh. So, and this is the time to build. If you see the last thirty years. Uh-huh. The last thirty years, the world has created value in public uh-huh. companies in two three areas: phones, right. internet, uh-huh. and shopping. Right now, in three years, I mean, you're not really making anything. You're you're connecting people who have some money, but over right. a period of time, you will need to start building again. So right. I believe that the country that builds the most in the next twenty five thirty years will uh-huh. be the most prosperous. That brings me to the last yeah. question. Yeah, you know, a lot of people will be listening yeah. to you. Um, a lot of people interested in kind of opening their own startups, running their own startups, facing a lot of challenges. What are the sort of advice that you would like to give to them? Like, <laughs> yeah, I think you should know. One is you should know why you're doing what you're doing very crystal mm-hmm. clear. Like, you should be able uh-huh. to articulate it very well. I'm a big believer uh-huh. in articulate communication, not uh-huh. because of a hold of language or anything uh-huh. else, but because articulate communication is a proxy for clarity of thought. So if you can't right. communicate why you're doing what you're doing, that means you're not thought it through clearly enough. So, number one, be crystal clear about what you're doing and why you're doing it, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Um, and what your end game is. Like, you mm-hmm. cannot do something just because oh, having a startup is cool, or you know it's socially a popular thing to do. Uh, that's rubbish. The objective has to be clear. For me, the objective has always been wealth followed mm-hmm. by legacy. In right. that order. Right. Uh-huh. I, I I I will know what to optimize for when I'm building out my business. You have to know what you're building out for. Right. So that's one. Second thing is, um, it's not easy. Like many people listen to mm-hmm. the words entrepreneurship is hard. Don't really understand what it is till they do it, and then by that time they're so in into it that it's hard to come out of it, and then it becomes just a painful process. So it's uh-huh. hard. It is full of failure. So if you uh-huh. don't have an armor and a resilience that Allows you to 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 withstand that you are going to suffer. A lot of things is a lot of these entrepreneurs now nowadays are IIT, IIM, overachiever kinds, right? Uh-huh. Um, and uh, who have never seen failure before. So right. like entrepreneurship brings like you launch a product and तुम्हारा कोई sale ही नहीं हो रहा है. तुम app बनाते हो तो कोई download ही नहीं कर रहा है क्योंकि you are like hey. I am the topper at I am. I am the how is no one downloading my app? You are two very different things. So, Same. so <laughs> like entrepreneurs, I have seen who kind of don't set expectations clearly enough, find it very uh-huh. hard to deal with the struggle of thousand failures till you hit success. So, hey, this two three pieces of advice: like know what you are doing, why you are doing, have an objective in mind, and then be very clear that failure is going to be a big part of your journey. irrespective of how good you are thank you uh, that was really inspiring chantanu uh, really engaging conversation in fact i would like to kind of go on and on but uh, with that <laughs> note i'd like to end and to know about, more about bombay shaving company and its products do visit bombayshavingcompany.com do leave your comments of this podcast on our page podcasters and stay tuned for our next speaker and thank you chantanu so much for coming on our show today thank you thank you anmol totally my pleasure thank you This podcast has been produced by Podsters. Content editor Parneet Kaur, podcast production manager Prakash Jain, sound recording Advanced Telemedia.